You're listening to The Elephant Test. We're dedicated to the B2B marketing community and here to explore the practices, thoughts, and ideas of effective B2B marketing executives. Hi, this is Sky Cassidy and Alicia Garvalia. Hi, guys. Thanks for uh, joining us on The Elephant Test. Today, we'll be talking about multi-touch marketing. To tell us more on the subject, we are joined by Terry Hedden. Terry Hedden is the founder and CEO of Cloud Guru and Marketopia. He started his professional career working in sales for AT&T and as a consultant with EDS and has had success at more than a few different companies along the way. Thank you for joining us, Terry. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We're so happy to have you on. So can to start with, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into B2B marketing? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've always been sort of a a salesy type person ever since my first uh, jobs while in college, uh, working at service merchandise where I won awards on selling extended warranties and that type of thing. But um, I, I always kind of got the sales thing for whatever reason I was able to do that. And, um, you know, it had a couple of uh, stints in, uh, tel- in the um, consulting arena and working in um, the technology space where I sort of worked on the periphery of of sales and sort of collaborated with the sales organization, but wasn't really in it. Then I started my MSP and uh, I started uh, in 2003 and grew it to 49 people uh, in six and a half years uh, without any money. And the reason we did that was impressive. Frankly, we could, we could market and get leads and we could sell and close them. So uh, I realized that that kind of was my thing. Uh, so after selling my MSP, I I got into the business helping other people do the same thing. And it's been very rewarding and uh, uh, just really enjoy doing it. That's pretty impressive. Thanks for sharing that with us. So one of the main subjects today with you, Terry, is uh, multi-touch marketing campaigns. And I think a lot of people think they know what that is. They think it's pretty simple. I think I probably fall in that bucket as well, but I feel like you probably have a uh, a much deeper understanding of kind of how these work, and you know more than just saying, "Don't just email, email, and call." Can you dig in with first a little bit, just jumping straight into it here? How multi-touch works, uh, you know, educate us, educate the audience here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the best way I would kind of uh, summarize what the effect of multi-touches would be in a real-world example. So all of us have gotten a postcard in the mail from, let's say, a car dealership saying, hey, you know, the new Lexus uh, IS uh, is a great sports car or a great car. You should own one, right? And at least for me, 100% of the time, I throw those postcards away. I don't know if you've had the same experience, but very rarely (laughs) do you act, right? Very rarely do you pick up the phone, schedule a test drive, or go ground drive the dealership. Yeah. I occasionally keep them for crafting, but you know. <laughs> scrapbook them. Yeah, yeah, I scrapbook my junk mail. Scrapbook them. <laughs> um, but if if a salesperson were to follow up that postcard with a with a phone call and say, "Hey, we have a silver IS in stock right now. I'll buy you a cup of coffee if you want to come by and take a test drive, like a, a physical call." The chances of responding to that campaign go up exponentially, and uh, so that is kind of the principle of, of multi-touch campaigns. If the ROI goes up because the response rate goes up exponentially, the more times you contact someone and the more ways you contact them. Um, and it gets more and more scientific as you start doing different types of touches, whether you're talking about website, 
uh, SEO, SEM, email marketing, direct mail, appointment setting. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to, to, to touch a prospect, but that, that sort of illustration is the best thing that I've found to explain the concept of multi-touch. On that point, is that kind of a, a very minor version of, of what you guys practice over there? No, Marketopia, we, we specialize in B2B marketing, which is different than B2C. We also focus on the technology industry specifically, both, you know, larger technology companies like Oracle and then small, you know, more mom and pop centric uh, IT or service companies uh, as well. And so we, we definitely, you know, have found that the ROI for campaigns and marketing in general, frankly, goes up exponentially the more the more you leverage that multi-touch campaign concept. If you just rely on appointment setting you're going to get a fraction of the leads that you would get if you complemented that with more digital marketing or traditional marketing. And then the opposite is also true. In fact, uh, we did a study, uh, I guess earlier this year, where we compared straight digital marketing clients with those that have the outbound appointment setting portion as well. And what we found was uh, what we've now call a passive lead. And, and that is the Way so 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 you offer you send out an email marketing campaign. Someone opens that email. They're obviously interested in the contents of the subject line and maybe the email. Right, it's kind of the the most the basic level of interest you could have is right. is right. actually looking at it. Right. So so that's at least they're interested. And maybe they took another step and went to the website and did a little more research about you. But for whatever reason, they didn't call. They didn't engage. They didn't fill out a contact us form. It could be they didn't find what they were looking for. It could be that they got distracted. It could be that it was five o'clock and they wanted to go home. But what we found was that if you followed up that marketing activity with an outbound call, you got about 10 times as many leads. So, So literally nine out of 10 leads would never have been identified if you didn't take the extra step to implement that multi-touch campaign. It's the, the ROI is so huge and the impact is so significant that we now require customers to implement a multi-touch campaign here or we won't take them on board. Now, are the leads there when you do that, are those coming from the call activity or the email activity? So is the email activity warming up the call or is the call kind of uh, getting them to respond to the to the email or some combination? It's, a, it's definitely a combination. Um, you know, it's kind of a different topic a little bit, but I what we recommend is for everyone to take a look at the ROI for their campaign and the results of their campaign from a holistic view. You don't know the real reason they reached out to you. You just know the last reason they reached out to you. In other words, someone could have gotten an email campaign from you every month for the last 12 months, and they're interested, but for whatever reason, they didn't engage. And then you run right. into them at a networking event. Well, if you had run into the, to the networking event without those emails, you probably wouldn't have gotten a lead. So look at your marketing holistically and calculate the ROI holistically over a period of time because it takes time to produce a lead. But in most of the leads that are generated um, are by the appointment setter team following up on the marketing. But the appointment center right. without the marketing doesn't produce nearly as much. Right. right. You can't just say, oh, this last activity is what's getting it. So we don't need the rest of it. That's all, all that setup is what allowed the final kind right. of uh, lead to be generated. Yeah, that makes sense. That's actually a lot of what we're finding out right now, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, we are doing a lot of work on that kind of stuff. And, although we uh, don't have the empirical data, you do. So thanks for that. <laughs> you you <laughs> well, guys are experts. We're kind of stumbling here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we we, we uh, you know we're a sixty person organization, so we have. 
20 people in our agency and 40 people on the outbound appointment setting side. So we send, you know, literally millions of emails uh, and outbound calls a month. I mean, we work for probably 100, almost 100 companies doing outbound campaigns. So, yeah, I guess we do have both, uh, uh, you know, the time and systems to do the analysis to produce that ROI. It's all for us very pragmatic and very practical. We want to yield results and we want to produce a positive ROI or we don't want to do the work. And so we spend a lot of time making sure. Sounds reasonable for marketing. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in these multi-touch campaigns, it sounds like, but uh, you, you tell me, uh, I guess I don't want to, to feed you anything. What kind of, what's your favorite modalities? What, what are your favorite channels for, for a multi-touch campaign? My favorite channels of a multi-touch campaign. Well, I can tell you the last and most important touch point is the outbound call. All right. So it's the most expensive. It's the most difficult. It's very challenging to get salespeople to do it. Frankly, most salespeople are not very good at it. Um, Most firms find that specialization and that function, whether internally or outsourced, is the way to go. But that that is definitely a touch point that I would conclude every campaign with. Past that, um, what I would say is a combination of website marketing and email marketing. And I say that because if you send an email out to somebody and let's say they're interested in that product or service, the very first thing they do is go to your website. So if you have a website that isn't very good, doesn't properly reflect the professionalism or capabilities of your firm, they'll bounce. They'll literally drop off that website and and not give a second thought to it. So in a lot of ways, email marketing drives traffic to the website, and then the website's got to complement that email marketing to do the conversion. So (laughs) So typically people say first impression is the most important, but really the email or what gets them to go to your website would be the first impression. It, it seems like in these multi-touch campaigns and marketing in general, second impression, which is use your website, might be, I mean, all steps are critical, obviously. But well, you have to get them to the website first. Yeah, right. getting them yeah. to the website is important, but then so many people bounce from people's websites that that, that second impression is, uh, is also very critical. Absolutely. We, you know, we tell our customers when, when we, when, in the sales process, we'll talk to them about their close ratio. And every time they talk, it makes me laugh. Sometimes they'll say, oh, we have a 90% close ratio. And with that, you know that they're getting warm referrals. That's the only source of leads they have. And right, with yeah. others, you know, they'll say, oh, man, you know, I'm at 50%. And that, that may be kind of accurate. But at the end of that process, we almost always point out all the people who didn't engage. Those right. are all losses, right? So they went right. to your website, they bounced for whatever reason. That's a loss and should factor into your close ratio. If you think so about it. Real. It's all about like 1%. We're all just yeah, I, I think, that's, uh, fine. that's what you're telling me. People's uh, individual <laughs> close ratios seem to be um, relevant within their company, but you can't really compare one to the next because you don't know what metrics they're using. I think typically sales close ratios, if you're doing in a lot of industry, if you're doing... Five percent, you're doing really well, but it depends on what you consider as your as your starting point. You know, what do you? Some people consider every piece of every account they have as uh, part of the close uh, ratio, and then some only you know things that they write up a proposal for. So right, yeah, like once you actually have a you know, good people are juicing their numbers. So I have a question for you, Terry. How does this differ from the exciting new trend of account-based marketing? Mm, I had that one too. I had that one too, Terry. I was wondering, it seems kind of like mass account-based marketing, not quite as specialized, but a lot of the same overlapping, touching people many different ways um, uh, technique. Uh, Yeah, in a way, you know, I think both, both types of marketing 
center around a more intense pursuit than a casual pursuit, more of a rifle than a shotgun, if you will. You know, I, I think both are, are related and, and, and frankly can be considered uh, multi-touch marketing is a way to execute on the account-based marketing strategy. It's more of an ex- execution standard than it is a philosophy. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. So like the same that. thing could be used for general campaigns, account-based campaigns, whatever you want to call it. It's a... Uh, so if you wanted to, yeah, if you wanted to apply right. this to account-based marketing, right. That makes sense. And then in uh, within that, I guess, um, cadence, is that something you guys focus on a lot? Can you talk about cadence a little bit? Oh, that's, that's a topic that we are diving into in a big way right now. So the time of day, the frequency of communication and of, you know, both sort of complement the, the campaign element themselves to produce a result, right? And, and what, one thing that's been surprising to me is the, there is a big difference. If someone sends you an email at midnight, you have a different response rate than three in the afternoon when, of course, logically speaking, both made it to your inbox whenever it is you got there, right? So the best place to be, so when someone wakes up in the morning, they have, let's say, 50 emails in there. It actually right. matters yeah. whether you want to be the last one in or the first one in. Um, so we're doing some analysis of that now. Um, we've changed all of our email marketing and outbound marketing to time zone specific um, because it certainly yeah, matters. I was going to mention that people say, okay, we want to hit people at uh, 10 in the morning. So they send out at 10 in the morning, their time, not realizing if, you know, if you're central, then you're hitting people at, at 11, you're hitting people at, at eight in the morning. It's uh yeah, if you don't, if, if you want to, if you care about what time you're sending something, you have to send it in their time, not your time kind of. Right. And we've also noticed that people tend to, uh, first thing in the morning, they don't have nearly as much pay, as much patience because they have so much built up overnight um, that they're really just just tossing everything. So, uh, I don't even like to send people I know messages first thing in the morning because uh, you know they might accidentally toss it. So do you have? Okay, don't tell me what it is if you have it. But do you have any conclusive? Um, don't ideas? tell me why don't want to no, no, know. Okay, <laughs> we're um, building up. We're because, building up suspense. Do you have any conclusive ideas as to what time of day is working best for you guys? Um, that we are still doing that analysis. Um, uh, what I can tell you is I was going to make us take bets and then, <laughs> yeah. and then you can tell us the answer. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> we have, so we, we do very robust. A, so most firms do AB testing on their marketing. We do ABCDE mm-hmm. testing here because we have uh-huh. so many campaigns to play with awesome. right now. Things are indicating toward during business hours after the start of the day, after they've cleaned out their nightly, you know, accumulation of emails, so somewhere like maybe a 9.30 a.m. type email local time. Now, okay. that is the email. Um, the outbound appointment setting time actually varies greatly. Most of the time, a 7.30 a.m. does better than a 10 a.m., and a 5.30 p.m. does better than a 3 p.m., but that varies a little bit by industry and location. Um, but in general... Uh, you know, 7.30 to 8.30 is a great time. 4.30 to 5.30 is a great time. Uh, the idea is to catch the decision maker when they're at their desk and willing to take calls. So Yeah, and um, I think Friday every one of them varies. Some decision yeah. makers are there, uh, you know, available first thing in the morning. Some people kind of generally have different schedules when it comes to that. What we found useful in that area is having our um, our sales reps and our SDRs 
make note of the time when they make calls out so they can see, oh, I've, I've called this guy multiple times early in the morning. Maybe I should try late in the day, midday, so they can kind of spread around the times they're calling each individual person to find you know, find out which which time that they're most likely to be, be available. I find uh, with certain decision makers, they tend to be in meetings at very specific times every day. And if that just happens to be the time you're getting to them, you're just never going to get through. It seems like that should also then follow through into the sales so that if you have that tracking and you say, okay, Lucy, the, you know, decision maker over at X company is available generally, like I've gotten her at this time, then it should also then carry over to the sales to be like, oh, this is a good time to call her maybe. I don't know. That's yeah. kind of brilliant. I never thought of that. That's why really? she's here. <laughs> Tell the salespeople, look, look at the CRM, see if there's a time of day that they tend to answer versus not answer. You know, it's interesting. It's really, it's a difficult analysis. They're doing that analysis, then marketing in general has become a lot more analytical, you know, um, you tend, we are bringing in more developers and more technically minded people uh, tend, that can dive into the details, do the analysis, make the marketing automation platform sing and, and dance, um, you know, because it, diving into the details makes a huge difference in terms of the results you produce. You know, getting a little bit better each month should be all of our goals. And in marketing, it used to be uh, less scientific and there's less data to analyze and frankly, less sophisticated systems to do so. But now with digital marketing, there's so much information to analyze and, and there's, there's gold in that detail, right? There's, there's diamonds you got to go dig in, find and, and implement and test and retest and, and, uh, you know, get better every day. Absolutely. I've been reading up on game theory in marketing specifically. You know, I learned about game theory in my political science class in college and left that behind. But, um, you know, it, game theory hasn't really been used very much in marketing because... Or not that you know. Well... Mm, you don't usually yes. see game theory okay. when it's being used. <laughs> That's fair. Nobody has been writing about using game theory until more recently in marketing because... We haven't been able to do the science because, you know, it requires being able to plan out ahead, you know, multiple steps and then in multiple ways because you have multiple players on the board. It's not like you're marketing to one person. But so it's really interesting things like the customer journey, things like that, that people are starting to apply game theory to. And the only way that that's possible is that we now do have all these science and you know, that there is more science here. We have the analytics, we have the the development in that. And that's really exciting. And I'm mind boggling a little bit on even how to start, but it's yeah, I guess exciting. there's, there's something like you were saying, uh, Terry, there's so many more things available to us now. There's so much more information that it's, I think it's a great time for marketing because there's, there's so much you can do. It's not just what you were talking about in the beginning where you send a postcard and wonder if somebody saw it and is going to call you. It's uh, right. a great time for marketing. Yeah. And then uh, multi-touch marketing, there's so many great channels to, to market with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I think one thing that I've found is that because there's so much more, the payoff for having a professional do the work is so much higher than it used to be. You know, as long as you have good data, good lists, you know, and hire a professional, either internal team or an external team to do the work, they're going to figure it out. You know, whether it takes them the first email they send out or if it takes the 50th email, they're going to figure it out. And and the, the firms that are mature enough to understand that you don't give up on marketing, you just try something new and that uh, getting leads and investing in getting leads is not an option. 
the better off they're going to be and the, and the greater the chance that they're going to be successful and achieve their dreams as an individual. Um, so many people, so many businesses are small and stay small because they don't get that simple fact. They view marketing as an option. They view leads as something that is almost magical and just happens or doesn't happen. They don't realize that it's really math and it's really simple. And the more you do, the more leads you're going to get. And the more often you do it and the more uh, different touch points you offer over multiple mediums and multiple times, uh, the more successful you're going to be. Uh, big companies get it and they get big for a reason. Little companies don't often and uh, stay small for, for the same exact reason. I thought I got into marketing to, to get away from math. What You're telling me that it's all math now? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, really, it is, it is very. Simple. No, it is a lot you know, of math. It's definitely a lot of math. Yeah, for sure. if you, it, it, may, it makes sense though to everybody, right? If you if you send out a hundred emails, you're going to get half as many leads as if you send out two hundred emails. It's right. logical. Right. Yeah. Right. No, there's lots um, of math. But I then I find to avoid math. generally no, when people don't invest in marketing, and I'm always shocked when I look out there and I see companies growing, and then I hear stories of, oh yeah, we started growing, we started really killing it, our sales were going through the roof, and so our board said, great, let's not, you know, we don't need more marketing budget now. We need to invest more in sales because that's how you get sales. And it's you think. But the marketing is what fueled that sales push. If you ask those salespeople what they want, they won't say more sales budget. They'll say more marketing budget probably. They'll say, we want to be fed more, um, not more people sitting next to me. I want to be fed more kind of a thing. They may not say more marketing because sometimes, let's face it, sales hates marketing. But mm. they'll say that they want more leads. Yeah. In yeah, which yeah. case, they really we want more they good want leads. Marketing. That's what they'll yeah, say. Yeah, so. But I, I guess I'd say, yes, people need to invest in marketing. That's kind of a biased opinion. We're a podcast on B2B marketing. Yeah. Um, but obviously they, they do need to invest more and keep investing in marketing. But I find having good marketing is important. Having good data is important. They also have to have a good product. You know, it, you have the good marketing, the good data, and you're not growing, you're staying small. You probably need to look at adjusting, uh, adjusting your product. Sometimes, you know, people come to you, I'm sure, and you look at it and say, this is going to be a difficult product to, to, to market and sell. In that vein, you guys work specifically with technology companies, right? That's correct. Okay. It crossed my mind that, that a marketing agency um, is kind of like hiring a lawyer, that you really want to hire somebody that's experienced in your specific field. Um, you know, you don't want to get an accident lawyer if you're getting a divorce uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. And with marketing agencies, people see marketing as marketing and they don't realize you you need somebody specialized that understands your type of marketing. Otherwise, you go to an agency and, and you have to educate them on how your industry works, um, you know, what kind of metrics they should be seeing, who they should, all, all the details. So you guys work specifically with technology. Do you only market out to technology companies for your service? Is that like a specialty niche or is that just a, hey, this is all we work with? We, we definitely specialize in it. Um, you know, we, we are, a lot of our founders came from the technology space. Uh, so we work with a lot of MSPs, VARs, and vendors. So we work with companies like Oracle and Microsoft and Rackspace and, and do campaigns that usually market to MSPs and VARs, sort of the IT channel. And then we also work with IT channel members like uh, IT service companies, MSPs, and VARs, and recruit end-user clients, right? Um, so uh, we do both and have found that the, the niche is, is a huge deal. You know, they spend zero time teaching us about their business. In fact, we probably can teach them more about their business than they can teach us uh, because we, we really understand what the buyers want, uh, what the uh, reasons to buy are, what are the, what are the uh, 
the key messages that convert prospects into clients. Um, and then, you know, we know how to attack the market, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, hardware, software, service, cloud, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's hard. It's hard to get a lead. And so going with someone who has that specialization and that experience and has sent millions and millions and millions of emails uh, and made hundreds of thousands or millions of phone calls, that experience produces results. And, and frankly, that's what a lot of firms are looking for right now, someone that's actually going to deliver on their promises. So that's our goal. And, uh, and it certainly served us well. We're, you know, we hire about a person a week here and, uh, and, and see no end in sight. Job creators, excellent. So could you, without giving away the secret, for people out there who are listening and are marketing to technology companies, can you give a couple tips on kind of uh, uh, some some stuff that might be specific to technology companies they need to take into consideration when doing their marketing? Absolutely. So, so the first thing and the most important thing is to stop accepting this idea that marketing is this magical thing that kind of break the emotional thought around marketing that so many technology people have and separate it into a logical argument. And you do that by simply doing some calculations. And I say, all right, um, what, you know, what do you want your revenue to get to? All right. And, and they come up with that number. And then you say, okay, what's your average cust- revenue per client? And that gives you the number of customers that you need. Right. And then I say, okay, well divide that by the close ratio. If I give you a lead, would you close 10%, 100%? Like, what's the number? What's your close ratio? That number gives you the number of leads you need to achieve your goals. So at that point, you can separate the emotional aspect of dreaming and, and, and turn it into a quantifiable, measurable goal, right? There's Something the math again, right? <laughs> right, that's the math. It's all math. And then, and, then you, and then you work with a marketing professional that helps you achieve that number and you hold them accountable for it. you say, listen, you know, we have customers, for instance, that want a hundred new partners a month, a hundred new uh, clients or resellers a month. That, that's a big number, you know, a hundred qualified appointments. And, and yet we do it. And it's simply five times the amount of effort that one that, t- that would produce 10 partners. Mm. Right. So yep. stop, you know, stop being emotional, stop being, stop, I guess, dreaming, and start doing what it takes to achieve those dreams. And, and I've right. given a, a number of speeches at some uh, some events, and, and that's 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 my number one message uh, is to <laughs> stop. Sounds like a motivational speak. Stop dreaming. <laughs> stop dreaming and start yeah. doing. Stop yeah, dreaming yeah. and be realistic. <laughs> one of the things that I Do like to mouth. say is uh, if if you build it, they will come. Is total BS. Oh, yeah. You need to market the hell out of it, and they will come. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of, exactly. you have to get in the trenches and do the work. It's, it's only kind of a mystical thing. If you, like you're saying, if you're dreaming about it, then yes, it is very ethereal. But once you start right. doing it, it gets, it gets done. Like, so right. something I don't like plugging stuff directly for us on here, but on the mountaintop data website, we have, you have to go and find it. I'm not going to pull it off the top of my head, what page is on, but we have a revenue calculator that does that exact math uh, for you. You can plug in we will the put amount it of- on the show notes. Ooh, we'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, yeah. You plug in the amount of data you have. You can start anywhere along the way. You you can say, here's how many leads we have. Mm-hmm. What what revenue can we expect to come from this? And I think, yeah, that kind of math really helps crystallize it in people's minds that it is really just math. Then you have to go execute it. Yes, it has to be executed. But when you when you look at it mathematically, it's a lot easier, I think, to make that investment and say, oh, yeah, we need to go out and market because once you build that machine – you build your sales machine, you build your marketing machine, you go out or you go out and, you know, hire a marketing machine. That's what you guys do. And then you just, you just fuel that. Yeah. It's, it's not as, uh, quite as mystical as people think. You just, you make that's a machine, right. you run it and, uh, and it works. That's right. 
And if you don't do what it takes, you're never going to achieve your dreams. It's, it doesn't matter if you're talking about losing weight or growing your business or, or anything. Stop talking about it. Stop dreaming about it and actually put together a plan to achieve it. And uh, I, I think if, if you know, your, your readers get anything out of this, let it be that, you know, um, no matter what you do, it's better than nothing as long as it's done well. And, and uh, you know, to, to put your put your dreams into a, a quantifiable, achievable plan and then go out there and execute that plan. And if you can't do it yourself, hire a professional to do it. And if they don't do it well, hire a different professional to do it. Just don't give up on your on your plan, because at that point you're giving up on your dreams. If you really want to just talk about it, hire a professional while you're talking about it, basically. <laughs> that way, that way it still gets done. Yeah. Uh, so you guys kind of have the Nike method of, uh, of marketing. It's just, a, just do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> No copyright violation there. That's just a plug for Nike. Um, all right, we're going to go on a uh, on a quick break here. Something to think about before the break, Terry. Don't answer now, um, but when we come back, uh, give us an answer for this. We'd like to know if you uh, were to have one marketing superpower. Uh, so not invisibility, unless it had something to do with marketing. But uh, one marketing superpower. What would that uh, What would that be? Pretty sure right. invisibility is the opposite of a marketing superpower. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> We've been over that before. You definitely don't want to be invisible for marketing. <laughs> okay. All right. When we come back. All right. Going to break. We'll be back in just a minute. Our episode today is brought to you by Engageo. If you're thinking about ABM and not sure how to start or which plays to run, Engageo just came out with a new playbook for marketers featuring 16 plays that have been tested in the field to get results. Check them out at Engageo.com slash orchestration. Hi, we're back. Uh, I'm speaking with, uh, or I guess Alicia and I are speaking <laughs> with uh, Terry Hayden. too. <laughs> of uh, Marketopia. Terry, um, thanks for coming back from the break with us. We had asked you right before the break about your marketing superpower. Wow. That's, it's a tough question. I, I really have two in my head. I, I, I would love to have a freeze power where once customers have made a good decision, you, you freeze them so that they're patient and, and allow that decision to play out. But if I had to pick <laughs> yeah. one, if I had to pick one, it would probably be a superpower that helps people overcome fear. Um, if, if, you know, I'm talking to so many people that I want to help and we want to make a difference for, right? Good people that have big dreams, but they're scared. They're scared of their ability to close or they're scared of their ability to, to be successful. Or they're scared to make big decisions or make big investments. You know, they, they like buying tools or technologies, but, but buying something that they're, they don't really understand like marketing is, is, is makes them scared and they get into this fear paralysis and 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 it's really sad for me because you're talking to these people that you want to help that you can make a difference for and for whatever reason they don't move forward and then a year later they're you call them back and they're in the exact same situation and wonder why Mm -hmm. so if i could if i could have the ability to just give someone to, to absolve fear for someone else that would be the superpower that i'd pick the most because i think if i had that we would be able to make a bigger difference and and frankly help more people achieve their dreams unfortunately you know what you have to give people to absolve fear uh, money, just lots money. of money. <laughs> That's what makes people afraid. This is They're spending their sound budget. An yeah. Awful lot, like a motivational speech. <laughs> motivational speech. And so, so Terry, here's here's what you do: get a whole bunch of money, just give it all to your clients. I know they're <laughs> supposed to be giving you money, but give it, and they'll they'll just say, "Go for it." Thank you for the money. Generate our leads. Unfortunately, it doesn't I think quite work. They'll just work take that off way. to yeah. the Bahamas, and they'll yeah. be like, "Thanks for the money, bye." I think if- you find that when people have budget, the fear isn't. 
there isn't as much fear there. The, and kind of the more budget they have, probably the less fear they have. Um, and it's kind of a success breeds success type of thing. It's hard to get off the ground when you don't have a lot of budget for stuff money because of that fear. If you have money and you have a nice boss, I think that yeah. those two things are important because oh, yeah. you have See, the money. Fear of failure and, and not having the budget and then yeah. fear of your boss maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Money and a good boss. That's all, that's all you need. Just clients with that and you'll yeah. be good. That'd be great. But yeah, the ability to remove fear. I can see that working that's in a lot a, of places. That's a really cool. I like that. I, I think that's a really wonderful superpower. So before the break, you were also talking about what I had dubbed the uh, Nike uh, style of marketing, the stop talking about it and just do it. Can we jump back into that and kind of maybe get into some of the steps of just doing it? Absolutely. So once you once you know that magical number, right? How many how many leads you need? to achieve your dreams. And then you have brought in a professional to create a plan to achieve that, that need. Um, the next thing you have to do is, is, is empower them to be successful, whether they need good data to to make sure they have good contacts to send the marketing to, or, uh, they need your approval to, to go live with the website or, um, so that's kind of the budget and a boss thing. Once, once you know what you need to do, you got to give somebody money and let them go do it. Yeah. Empower them to do it for you. Um, it's, it's really interesting to me where people who don't hire an expert because they don't know something all of a sudden get into this thing where they feel like they know better and, and therefore want to tell the expert what to do. And, and uh, it's really frustrating because I'm sitting there going, and listen, you're paying me a lot of money because I know how to do this better than you. And I, I you know, I used to own an MSP, right? I, 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 I grew my company quickly. I've had 11 companies. I'm 42 years old. I certainly have been around the block. I've succeeded and I've failed and I've known why both times. And you don't sound older than 35. Well, thank you very much. I think just about everybody's done that. The, the hire somebody and then try to treat them like you didn't hire them, but instead you went out and I got an appliance. Like you want to operate the appliance. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, no, they're a person. I, I've heard a lot of people say when they're asked, like, oh, what allowed you to finally succeed at this problem? And they say, oh, my boss has stepped away. Basically, they yeah. people let me do my job, and that's how the job got done, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. You have, you know, I, I kind of go, and not to get into politics, um, but, you know, I, I kind of, I always call it the, the George Bush approach to management. You know, none of us are great at everything, right? We, we all have our specialties, where we're strong, where we're weak. The most successful people in life surround themselves with people who are better than they are and and then empower them to to do their jobs and to take their advice and to allow them to be successful. And I think, you know, George Bush, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you, you can't argue with the fact that he surrounded himself with a pretty a team that was stronger than he was in a lot of and things. And had quite and, a hands-off approach, yeah. If, yeah. Only some, <laughs> if only someone else could have done the speech-making part, he would have had, like, perfect team. Uh, if he had a professional <laughs> speaker to come out yeah, and speak to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who's, who's, the, uh, who's the guy who does all the motivational speaking? Yeah, exactly. um, Tony Robbins? Uh, Tony Robbins, yeah. <laughs> if he had hired Tony Robbins as his speech giver, uh, exactly. he would have killed it. Oh, my God. <laughs> People wouldn't even known who the president was, but... We haven't had a good speaker president in a long, long time. You know, I don't know why, but I think we've lost some of that art. We need to put them all in speech and debate as children. Oh, yeah, or just tell them stop speaking, just do the job, <laughs> just, just get the job. job done. Go do it. We don't need to hear about it. Have a professor. Have Tony Robbins. He's just the mouthpiece for every president from now on. Just like you have somebody who uh, handles the Fed and stuff like that. And I think getting back kind of the topic here, hire people who are good at stuff, and then just have them do it instead of. Trying to do stuff you're not good at. You look at a 
you know, presidents and they're trying to go out and speak when it's not their strong point. It's, you just think maybe they just shouldn't speak so much. You don't, you don't have to do the stuff you're not good at. I've always thought that a good, a good leader, a good manager, uh, always wants to strive to not be the smartest person in the room. The, the basic instinct is to want to be the smartest person in the room in every room. But that just means you surrounded yourself with, you know, people who aren't really going to elevate you. Uh, I think the, yeah, looking to hire people who are better than you at every task is, a uh, is definitely a good thing, whether you hire internally or externally. I mean, getting back to what you guys do uh, e- even more, if you don't have the in-house skills for something, hire it out. If you know, you need to do lead generation and you want to get the job done, you don't want to have to experiment and figure it out. Find a company that specializes in uh, lead generation for your type of marketing. If you, we talk to people who say, uh, oh, you know, we'll just have, we have people that go out and find information and that's, that's how we know who to market to. We say that that's great, but there's companies that's like us that specialize in data. And if you want to get good data and be able to focus on what I assume their company specializes in, which is probably not searching the internet for phone numbers and email addresses. You, you really want to either hire somebody that specializes in it or hire a, uh, you know, a third party that specializes in it. Get, get smarter people for all your tasks to, do what they do best. So Terry, we've got stop dreaming, start doing, be logical, get the numbers, hire the right people. What next? Well, I mean, you know, so you hire the right people and, and then the next thing you got to focus on maybe goes back to that superpower that the ability to, to, to freeze people. Um, mm. You know, it, it's nothing more sad to me than you see people making the right decisions and they start going down the path and then don't see it through. You know, they're like, oh, it's been, you know, it's been six days and I haven't gotten a new customer yet. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to, I want to quit. And you're like, and you're going to throw away the investments that you made to get to where you are today. You've right. got to see things through. Uh, it takes time, you know, especially in B2B. You know, I've seen studies yeah. that show that it takes up to 29 touch points to, to get a deal. So if you quit at 28, uh, all it took was one more thing and you were, uh, you were going to convert that prospect into an active lead. So that's the the next thing I would say is 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 let the process work out. Patience, you know, it's hard to enforce patience. So when you make that plan, you got to follow through to the end, kind of before you analyze it. You can't. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't stop one third of the way in and say, I I don't know if we're getting where we want to be. Pull the plug. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's your freeze power. I see what you mean by freeze. Now I didn't quite get it when you first threw it out there, but now, uh, by the way, freeze sounds really good right now. <sighs> I hope uh, (laughs) everybody listening appreciates. I hope the sound quality is great here because uh, we have locked ourselves in a room and turned off the air conditioning in Los Angeles (laughs) and it's about 100 degrees outside and uh, I am getting a free sauna at the moment. Yeah. Now I don't need to go work out after work. So I could use that freeze uh, power right now. (laughs) Or a popsicle. Anyway, a little bit of a distraction there. Sorry. So... Getting everything done, can we uh, speak a little bit on the different kind of touch points along that path? Sure, absolutely. Are you done with the, the getting things along? Did we cut you off? No, no, not at all. Not at all. You know, I think the, you know, the, the last thing I would say is, is um, you know, as you're, as you're doing the analysis of the ROI, uh, make sure that you're put the accountability where it belongs, right? If marketing is producing leads and sales can't close them, hold sales accountable for that. Right. If they're not getting the number of leads that you need to, to succeed, but your close ratio is strong, then look to your marketing department uh, to, to and ask them what they need to get to the next level, to get the number of leads you need. But but hold someone accountable at the end of the day, you know, after you've given them a time, maybe six months or a year to to deliver, 
hold them accountable for results. Hold the right party accountable. If you don't get the closure issue you're expecting, ask why and make a change there. Maybe it's training, personnel change, something like that. And if the number of leads you're not getting, uh, it, it doesn't match what you need, then then obviously make some investments there. But be prepared to do something to address your problems. Don't give up. Mm, yeah, we've I got a that. list of, uh, of leadership rules here in the office. And a couple of them apply here. I think the first one is you, you, we've already spoken about getting the, those good people that, that know what they're doing. So, but once you have those people, you don't only have to step away, but first you have to give them what they need to succeed. And we always tell, I didn't mean to rhyme there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we always tell, uh, our managers here that they work for the people they're managing. Basically, they're those people's assistants because those people are getting the job done. They're just feed, they're the logistics for those people, basically. Um, on one level, they're the logistics and they need to give them what they need. So if, yeah, if marketing needs budget, if marketing needs data, whatever they need, they have to be given that. And then the second part you were mentioning, the accountability. Once you, once you give them what they need and they carry the task out, yeah, then you go back and look at it and hold, hold people accountable. But if you don't give them what they need, on the front end and you don't let them carry it out, then everything kind of falls apart and you get this giant finger pointing of uh, why things didn't, didn't succeed. I wanted to jump into, uh, I'd mentioned touch points, uh, Terry. And if you could give a, uh, kind of a quick rundown of the, some of the steps that you go through, I, I know campaigns can vary, but some of the steps you might go through for a specific kind of multi-touch, um, uh, campaign, the different things you carry out when you carry them out, however deep you want to get into it. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think from a 50,000-foot perspective, I'd break them into two different categories. One's inbound marketing and one's outbound marketing. Inbound marketing is where you do activities to help people that are looking for someone like you find you, right? So you're, you're making sure that when someone types in a product or uh, some sort of a, a search term related to the services you offer into Google or Bing or what have you, that your website comes up on page one. That's called search engine optimization. It is an example of an inbound marketing campaign. You also could put an advertisement on page one of, of Google or Bing to where um, that um, you know you're paying for that first page placement. That's called search engine marketing. So those are two good examples of inbound marketing campaigns. Another good example is content marketing, where you're sharing information via blogs, tweets, podcasts, you know, uh, social media in general. And basically, you're educating and nurturing prospective leads so that the point at which they're looking for someone like you, that they call you. You're becoming top of mind. You're creating brand awareness. Those are examples of what we call inbound marketing are all very good touch points. They're very good elements of a multi-touch campaign. In fact, best practice is to find an economical way to do all of them instead of uh, paying a lot for for maybe a, a selection of them. The second category is what we call outbound marketing, where you're proactively reaching out to potential people to see if they might be interested in your product or service. So an example there might be going to a trade show uh, or making a a appointment setting, making outbound calls or going door to door marketing, maybe going to a networking event. You're physically reaching out, trying to find someone who might be interested in your service. All of those are good examples of a multi-touch marketing campaign. Another one, of course, we've talked a lot about email marketing. That's a big one right now. It's very um, ineffective if you look at uh, the likeliness of getting a lead via email marketing, but is so inexpensive to do that it often produces a positive ROI over time. Now, email marketing right, right. alone, frankly, doesn't do much, but if it's part of a multi-touch campaign, it is a cost-effective way to give a, a lot of people a touch point in a very short period of time. So those are all examples. 
Right. Honestly, we're in the data business and we found email marketing used to be very effective because people weren't doing it everywhere. And like any type of marketing, if people aren't doing it and you can actually reach people, it's going to be very effective. But in the last handful of years, expecting to send out emails and get direct response leads. Everyone's is, doing it and it's getting harder to reach people. Well, and people Spam just they don't better. respond to those messages in that way. It's People don't even appreciate those messages. But as an initial warm-up step, like we talked about earlier, it's an amazing tool for getting content out there, yeah. for for getting people to recognize who you are, to start giving to getting them, that brand awareness getting and information, yeah, all that kind of about, stuff. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cut you off. Outbound marketing, outbound marketing emails, and go. (laughs) Yeah, no, and and those are just all examples of multi-touch campaigns. So an effective marketer would 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 leverage touch points, any of those touch points, a collections of those touch points, and frankly, as many of those touch points as you can afford to do, to produce a marketing campaign. And the more the more frequent you market, the more the more different mediums that you market through, right? The more different types of touch points you do the more successful your campaign can be, you know, and, and I mentioned uh, in B2B marketing, that last touch point is extremely important to come via voice, via an outbound dial or a face-to-face visit, like a door-to-door marketing. I guess it sort of depends on what you're marketing to, uh, what you're marketing and who you're marketing to. But in general, the more touch points you have over a, a long period of time, over multiple mediums, you exponentially increase the return on investment of your marketing campaigns. Uh, and it takes time to do it, but but um, I've yet to find a marketing campaign that didn't eventually work. I guess one thing I, I just thought of, and I wish I'd thought of this before, but the tag on here at the end, um, is there kind of an exhaustion point? Is there a point when you're marketing out with these multi-touch where you say, you know what, we're only going to hit these people this many times in this many different ways, and then we're going to kind of hibernate them or, or put those people aside? Or do you kind of keep uh, just just eroding them with messages? That's a good question. And, and I, I would say there's a fine line between persistence and annoyance, right? And that was one of my questions. Yeah. And, and yes. that's, that's a fair Where's that line? And, and it is a, it is something where, uh, marketers, professional marketers struggle with, right? It, it, you know, if I send them another email, am I, am I being persistent or am I being, you know, aggressive and going after the opportunity, yeah. right? Uh, and I guess frequency matters. If you send them for the rest of their life, an email a month, it's not a big deal. But if you send three a day, they're going to, and then with an email, I guess that the line's pretty obvious sometimes. It's when they say, stop emailing me. That's a, that's a pretty obvious time to stop your, uh, your process with them. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, a lot of it has to go down to value. You know, if someone, someone, just because someone didn't respond to your marketing activity doesn't mean they're not interested. It just may mean they're not interested now. You know, as long as they don't opt out of the campaign, which is the real, you know, risk associated with that. You, what you want to do is to to be persistent, add value as much as you can. That's where content marketing comes in. You want to educate, inform, and entertain your prospects. So add value in those campaigns. Don't uh, don't be too aggressive where you cross that line, but be persistent, not give up. Um, you know that's how it all works. I guess it's like the difference between being romantic and a stalker. If you're interested <laughs> in them, it's romantic. And if you're not, it's stalking. And if you just kind of keep checking in every once in a while when they're ready, um, then you'll be there. Right. That's exactly right. That's why you don't want to give up and when you go over time. 
Well, you know, this has been so enlightening, and I would love to keep asking you questions, Terry, but I think we are out of time for now. So um, thank you so much for coming on and for answering all of our questions. For the listeners, you can find links to Terry's businesses and to contact him on our show notes. You can also find some of the resources um, on our page. That's elephanttest.com. And if you would like to contact Terry directly, you can email him. Just double checking. Can we give your email out, Terry? It's terry.hedden at marketopia.com. And Hedden is spelled H-E-D-D-E-N. And his Twitter is thedden03. Or it could be the thedden03, depending on the way you look at it. Uh, <laughs> also, Terry, that's one people can misspell in the oh, yeah, email is T-E-R-R-Y. That's true. Yeah. So Terry.Hedden at Marketopia. Um, the, our final question for you before we close out is that do you have any resources for our listeners to go Absolutely. You know, if, if you, um, you know, if you're, there's a lot of things you can, if you Google my name, you can find some videos I've done uh, for, for people. Uh, if you're a technology company, reach out to me. I'd be happy to, to do a personal consultation or bring one of my uh, growth consultants in to help give you some, you know, no cost, no obligation advice, you know, to help you achieve your goals. Maybe even help you put together a marketing plan or uh, maybe if, uh, quantify the number that you need to succeed. Uh, but happy to provide some free advice to your listeners. Whatever I can do to help, I will. One quick question, Terry. Um uh, sorry to throw this on the end, but startups, technology companies, do you work with uh, startups much, a lot, not at all? So if there's startups out there, should they be reaching out to you kind of to help set up their marketing machine in the technology field? Absolutely. As long as they have yeah, budget, the, I guess the, I'd the say. Challenge of startups <laughs> is usually, you don't do yeah. pro bono work. We, we, uh, once you get your first round of funding, yeah, absolutely. Terry. We, we <laughs> yeah, almost we never, you know, if you have, we're a great, a great solve for people of all shapes and sizes. I don't think size matters much. But it does cost money to, to succeed. And, and while we have programs that start a couple hundred bucks a month, um, oftentimes people's dreams exceed their ability to pay for what it takes to achieve those dreams. Um, so, so uh, but, you know, again, anything's better than nothing. Move, start moving that ball down the field. Uh, the closer you do, the more you do, the, the more likely you are to, the, to reach your goal. All right. All right. Well, you heard it. Yep. Do it. Don't just dream it. (laughs) Stop talking about it and start getting Terry to do it for you. Exactly. There you go. All right, guys. Well, thank you again, Terry. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Terry. All righty. Bye-bye. A quick word from our sponsor. Effective marketing starts with good data. At Mountaintop Data, we are experts at developing and maintaining high-quality marketing lists. With tens of millions of highly accurate records and more data being added daily, We're sure to have the contacts you need to be in front of. Learn more at mountaintopdata.com. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Elephant Test. Check out the show notes at elephanttest.com. Thank you so much for listening from all of us here at The Elephant Test. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.